You are listening to the Valley Vegas Church Podcast. Valley Vegas is located at 4500 West Sahara Avenue in the heart of Las Vegas. For more information and to get connected with us, visit valleyvegas.org. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Well, hello, hello. Good to see everyone. It's weird after the last week I was at to see this many people gathered. I was up in South Dakota hunting pheasant up there. That is, has to be one of the least populated states in our country. Beautiful country up there, but uh, not a whole lot of folks live up there. But uh, good to see you. Hello to you that are watching online as well. We want to recognize one of our uh, fantastic volunteers here and uh, from our tech department there in the back, the folks that uh, you've rarely see, but boy, if they weren't here, you'd know they weren't here. Uh, would you give it up for Mike, Mike Tarko? Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, Mike. You can join our team. We love to have you. We got all kinds of areas that you can serve in. Take that connection card in the seat back in front of you and take a look at some areas you might be interested in. Fill it out. Take it to the Welcome Center or our uh, team kiosk there. Drop it in and we'll contact you and and, uh, help you get plugged in. Well, today I want to talk about what I believe is one of the biggest threats to our faith. In fact, it might be the biggest threat to our faith. And that is compromise. Webster's defines compromise as a settlement of differences by arbitration or by consent that's reached by mutual concession between two people. Let me break it down into layman's terms for you. To compromise means that you go a little bit below what you know is right. Something that you know you shouldn't be doing, but I'm going to fudge and go underneath the, the line a little bit. Now, for a Christian, compromise occurs when you concede to an action or a thought that is contrary to God's word, the Bible, uh, and his will for your life. Now, here's why compromise is so easy to fall into. And I've got to tell you, this has been my struggle as well as yours. This is, I, I have fought for years to not be tempted to compromise, to fudge on that which I know I shouldn't be doing to do or to not do what I know I should be doing. And so it's a common struggle we have, but here's why it's so easy to fall into. It comes back to our stinking flesh. What is our flesh? It's that part of us that is unredeemed. It's that part of us that's born, as the Bible says, into sin. It's described as the flesh that sets itself against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Your flesh, my flesh, it just loves to sin. It just looks for opportunities to sin. It's always game to sin. Man, wake up, it's ready. Go to bed, it's ready. It, it's just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm down with sin. Now, here's what's tough is that our flesh will strike deals, or we, I should say, we strike deals with our flesh to sin, and that's what a compromise is. When our flesh, who naturally wants to do the wrong thing, and when we begin to negotiate and and dull our conscience, that's when a compromise happens. Romans 3.10 talks about this propensity to sin. It says that there's none righteous, not even one. If you're sitting here today thinking, man, I'm so glad that I don't sin anymore. Man, you know what? (laughs) I got news for you. Uh, You're not as hot as you think you are. 
All of us sin. There's none righteous. Every single one of us. In fact, the apostle Paul really described it well there in Romans 7 when he says, man, why do I do the things I don't want to do? He says, I I wake up and I say, man, you know what? I'm going to do good today. I'm not going to do that thing today. And son of a gun, by noon, I've done it. Well, I won't do it again. And then by five o'clock, I've done it two more times, he says. Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? And then the thing that I want to do, I don't do. See, it's that flesh. It's that propensity. And that's what makes a temptation and compromise so difficult because our flesh is naturally drawn to that. That's why we struggle with it. Now, here's the spirit that I want to teach this in. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to, to, to lay the foundation with this. Even though you may be here today, most likely are, because we all are, you might be struggling with an area that, that you're compromising in or you're tempted to compromise. And you might be thinking, well, that disqualifies me. That kind of just puts me on the outside of God's family. I want you to know that's not the case. God's family is full of compromisers. It's full of people that are struggling. It's full of people that don't have everything figured out yet. You have to understand that, okay? Let me give you a story to illustrate what I'm talking about. After or during World War II, two American soldiers lost a fellow soldier, a guy they were really close to uh, outside of Paris. The Nazis killed him, and they wanted to give him a proper burial. And so they found a church a couple miles away outside of Paris, and they uh, approached the door and asked uh, and said, hey, can we bury our friend in your cemetery? And the man asked, well, is he Catholic? And they said, no, he was a Methodist. Oh, I'm sorry, this is a uh, Catholic cemetery. You can't. I said, but you can bury him on the outside of the fence. You can bury him there and say, okay, we'll, we'll do that. They did, they buried him. About a month later, they were back in that neck of the woods. They wanted to pay their respect to their friend. So they went to his grave and they looked around and couldn't find it. And they knocked on the door and said, sir, I said, we know that we buried him outside the fence, but we can't find his grave. And the man said, you know, after you left, I couldn't sleep a wink that night, and I felt so bad. So what I did is I got up, and I moved the fence out to have your friend on the inside of the fence. See, that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death on the cross has brought us inside the fence. We're inside the family of God. And inside that family of God, there are compromisers. There are imperfect people. So I, I wanted to lay that foundation that it's, this is not a judgmental, this is not a, a condemning message. But I do also want to let you know how devastating compromise is to the Christian. It weakens our faith. It just really weakens it. It steals our joy. That's one of the main things. It just steals our joy. And it limits our effectiveness in being a witness for other people when we have compromise in our life. I want to talk about this topic, and I want to use this story of a man by the name of Balaam. One of the most perplexing stories in the Bible that I've ever come across. I don't even pretend to understand everything in it, but I'm just going to lay it out to you in the Reader's Digest version uh, as, as I understand it. The people of God, as we discovered in our study in Exodus that we just finished up, called upon God, free us from Egypt, and God sent Moses and 
were delivered out of Egypt on their way to their own land. Well, on that journey, they were going through and they came to the land near Moab. The Moabite king, a man by the name of Balak, got nervous. He saw how many people there were. He saw that they were stronger than his little nation. Their cattle were eating up a lot of the grass. He says, man, if they come into our territory, they're going to eat up all the grass. What are our cattle going to eat? And he says, we got to do something here. I I can't defeat him an army, but I got to take care of him somehow. And he says, I know what I'll do. I heard about this guy by the name of Balaam, that, that whoever Balaam blesses, they're blessed. And whoever he curses, that they're cursed. And so he called for Balaam. Now, Balaam's an interesting guy. Was he a follower of God? Maybe. Was he, uh, I don't know who the guy was. You, You could, you know, the jury's out on who Balaam was, but he definitely heard from God. And so Balak sent some people there and said, hey, tell him to come back here and, and, and help me with these people. I want him to curse these people. So they went to, to Balaam and told him, and, and Balaam said, I, I can't do anything unless God says it's okay. So you guys stay here overnight. I'll let you know in the morning. And Balaam goes, and God, what do you, what do you say? And God says, don't you dare curse them. Don't you dare. They're blessed people. Don't you dare. And so Balaam, next morning, told Balak's people, I can't do it. God said, no. So they went back and told Balak, and Balak is hot. You guys are worthless. You got no, you know, sway. You can't persuade people. Next, and he brought the next group, sent them out, and sent them with some cash in their pocket, and said, "Hey, go, go, tell them to come here. I'll pay them." And Balaam uh, said to the guys, "Hey, I'll tell you the same thing I told the other guys. I got to ask God first. And God came back and said, uh, "No, no." Uh, you can't. And Balaam said, okay, but the, here's, what's, here's what gets interesting. Again, I don't pretend to understand. God says, no. He says, but go with him anyway. You can go with him. So Balaam said, okay. So he told him, hey, I can't, I can't curse him. He said, but I'll, but I'll go with you to, to where the uh, Israelites are at. So he gets on his donkey. And here's what really gets odd. He's on his donkey. And, and as he's going, the donkey, the scripture says, is sees in the path ahead the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn, fixing to kill Balaam. And so the donkey, you know, goes around about in the field one time. The angel says, aha, I'll, I'll fix you, donkey. And he gets between this real narrow pass with, with a wall on each side where it can't escape. And so the donkey, you know, kind of slides through and pins Balaam's leg up against the wall. And, and Balaam gets a beat on that donkey. And then he goes further. And finally the donkey says, man, I can't get around him here. And so the donkey just drops down. And now Balaam's just beating the tar out of that poor donkey. And here's where it gets really odd. God gives the donkey the ability to talk. And the donkey looks back at Balaam and says, what are you doing hitting me? And here's where it even gets odder. Balaam answers him, because you pinned my leg up against the wall. They have a conversation with a donkey. Donkey said, haven't I always taken care of you? Haven't I always got you? Yeah, you have. And, and all of a sudden, Balaam looked ahead and saw that the angel there was able to see it. And he goes, oh, I understand, donkey. Thank you, donkey. I, I understand what you're doing now. So the angel of the Lord tells Balaam, says, hey, you know what? And here again, it's, it's a very perplexing story. One minute he's getting ready to kill him. And the angel says, okay, go ahead and go. You can go now. Just, just go up ahead there. But only, only say what God wants you to say. So he goes up there and Balaam says, oh, good. I've been waiting for you to come here. Okay, now get out there and do your thing. Get out there and curse them. There they are. And Balaam says, I told you, I'll say what God says. Whatever, just get out and do your thing. Balaam gets up there and says, okay, Israel, you blessed of the Lord. 
God loves you and you are blessed. Balak says, what are you doing? I told you. I can only see what God says. Well, this altitude must be getting to you. Let's go to a different place. Let's go over here. Do it again. Okay. You beloved of the Lord. You who are inheritors. and What are you doing? Balak says, I told you. And it happens again. Finally, Balak says, you know what, man? I was going to give you some money, but you're not getting nothing now. You didn't say I wanted you to say, go. And then we get a little glimpse. It gets into Numbers chapter 31. Balaam, this man who wanted to obey God on one hand, but saw a big payday on the other hand. He's thinking, how can I get this thing figured out? And he told Balak, he says, here's here's what I'm going to do. Come here. Come here. Send your gals, your Moabite women, your best looking ones. Get them all dolled up. Lots of makeup, lots of perfume. And send them into the camp and seduce the men. Marry the men. And then those women will cause the men to have to worship their gods and and embrace their idols. And then God will now have to discipline and God himself will curse the Israelites. And you'll get what you wanted. But uh, don't tell anybody I told you that. And sure enough, that happens. And and true, God dealt with them. 24,000 men died that day because of, of that sin of marrying the foreign women they were told not to and begin to worship their gods. Now, very perplexing story. Talking donkeys and angels and all kinds of things. But let me give you some different forms that compromise takes from this story. Number one, form one is living right on the edge of sin. That's a form of compromise. God told Balaam not to curse Israel, but for some reason, Balaam went anyway. What was Balaam hoping? Was he hoping that God would change his mind? Was he buying time thinking, man, you know what? You know, I, I'm, I'm going to obey God, but I'm going to buy a little time because who knows? Maybe I can figure this thing out. How can I figure out how I can obey God, but also get this money? And so I'll just go with him. Maybe that was why he went. Maybe he went under the mistaken premise that maybe I can influence Balak and all the Moabites. I know they, you know, they, they can't stand God, don't know God, but maybe I can go there. Maybe I can be the, the person who influences them and I can turn them towards God. <clears throat> oh, I've seen that mistake happen so often with young believers. They'll, they'll come out of a party scene, make a break from their unsafe friends, really begin to do good in the Lord and get strong. And then they, they mistakenly think that, oh, I can, I can, I can influence them. And they get an invite to the bar. Previously, they said no. Now it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the club with you. And they, they go out to the club. And, and the guy's thinking, oh, I'm going to be a good witness. Watch, I'm going I'm to lead him. I'm going to lead this whole bar to the Lord. This whole club's going to come to Christ. I'm going to be invited to come up on the stage. I'm going to preach Christ to him. So, so watch this. Would you like to drink, sir? I'll take a water. And he starts off with the water. And listen to music. And, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, I like that song. Sir, would you like another water? No, I... I'll take a beer this time. Beer's not even really drinking. Beer's just has a beer. Pretty soon he's like, yeah, yeah, I like this music. And looking at the girls going by, yeah. So he's like another beer. Yeah, I'll take another beer. And hey guys, do a shot. 
all right, I'll do, I'll do one shot with you. And man, by the end of the night, he's got a shirt up on the table. Yeah, and he's <clears throat> thinking that he's going to influence when in reality he got pulled down. Maybe that's what Balaam was thinking. Now, Proverbs 6.27, so important to know concerning compromise. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? In other words, can, can you live right on the edge of sin and not eventually have it burn you? I mean, you may get through a temptation 99 times out of 100, but I guarantee you that that 100th time, you're going to be in a bad place. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be fighting with a wife. You're going to be whatever. You're just going to be in a bad place. And all of a sudden, man, you're going to not have strength and you're going to fall to that thing because you're right on the edge there. It's so important to, to, to not live right on the edge of sin, but to try to live as far away from it as possible. Here's form number two of, of compromise. When you live in the deception of sin... Again, as we said, Balaam thought he found a way to make a little money and obey God too. Told them the secret. Now, like Balaam, Christians can <clears throat> live in that self-deception. <clears throat> they, can, they can live in a place of saying, you know what, hey, I, I've talked this over and, and they have had this conversation with their conscience. They have justified something in their mind. And they have brokered a deal. That's what compromise is, right? It's a concession. They have brokered a deal where basically they can now live with compromise. And, and whether that means they've just, just silenced their conscience and, hey, you know, shuddy, don't, I don't want to hear you anymore, conscience. Or maybe with God, they've just, I'm doing this because. But they've now adopted a Christian lifestyle with a major compromise going on in their life. What are those compromises? I don't know, but if, if, you're, if you are here living in one, the Holy Spirit's probably talking to you right now about what that is. And I want to invite you to do something that really is challenging. It, it might be the most challenging thing that you've done so far in your Christian life, if the shoe fits. If you're in that place and, and you feel like, I, I have, I've, I've made a compromise. I, I have lived below the line. I know I shouldn't, but I've just, I've just done it. I'm going to ask you to revisit that. Revisit it. Say, God, let, can we, let's talk about this again. I, I, know, I know, Lord, I haven't even been wanting to talk with you about it. I know I have avoided it. I haven't even wanted to look there. I, I, I just know, but God, I'm willing to come again. God, let's talk about it again. And, and just begin to talk and just, just begin a conversation with God. And God will direct you. And you may all of a sudden find new strength. Because maybe now, maybe when you made that initial compromise, you weren't as strong in the Lord as you are now. And maybe you'll have strength now to change that situation. But invite God. Say, God, can we, I'm willing, God, to talk about this thing again, Lord. That's a tough conversation to bury yourself open. To acknowledge that, that what is doing wrong. To say, God, I'm, I'm open to doing some things. I'm not sure if I have the power to do it, God. But at least let's begin to talk about it. I encourage some of you to do that. Thirdly, third form is living under the pressure of sin. Once these men of Israel got seduced 
allowed themselves to be seduced, married these foreman women, now they face the pressure of appeasing their wives by worshiping or at least tolerating their foreign gods that these wives had, these Moabites. They had a completely different God. These were pagan gods. These weren't Jehovah God. And that's a real struggle. I mean, come Thanksgiving time, the Moabite wife would say, hey, you know, Grab the, grab the household idol. We're going to dad's house. He wants to, to have some, some time over there where we can honor the idol before Thanksgiving meal. Now the Jewish guy said, man, what am I doing? I said, I can't take that thing. Oh, come on. Dad will get mad. <clears throat> Just grab it. Come on. And the guy's thinking, man, do I make a stand or I fight with a wife? Do I have a big fight on Thanksgiving day or am I just going to kind of just cave in and just grab the household idol? See, that's what happens when you get connected. That's why the scripture says very clearly, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, don't be bound together with unbelievers. Why? Because what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? The answer is nothing. Nothing. What are some common areas where you get bound up? Well, marriage. You marry an unbeliever. Some of you people are saying, are you saying that if I have an unbeliever, I can get out. I've been looking for a way out of this thing. No, 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 no. Too late. You married him too late. If that unbelieving one wants to live with them, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, don't send them away. Don't, you can't divorce them. If they, if, if they want to be married to you, then, then you stay married. This is talking to people before you get married. But you don't, want to, you don't want to marry an unbeliever. Same thing in business. You don't want to get hooked up in business with someone who is an unbeliever. I had a friend of mine who was saved, a very successful, a multimillionaire was saved businessman. And, and he came to me about six months, a year. I can't remember the time frame. It was less than a year. And says, Doug, he says, I don't know how to make money in business being a Christian. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, everything in my industry is geared towards either deception, dishonesty, cutthroat to the competitor, slander. What it, I said, if I do things the way that God wants me to do, I'll get run over by my competitors. I'll be out of business within a year. The only way I know how to make money is to, to be dishonest and to cheat and, and do all the stuff within my industry that's built into it. And he eventually had to sell his company. I, I said, I can't do it. I, I can't figure out a way to make money and be honest. Sold his company. Don't get hooked up. Don't have close friends. Don't have a best friend who is an unbeliever. Now, I'm not saying don't have unbelieving friends. We should. I'm not saying don't go to Thanksgiving with, with unbelieving family. You should. Be a salt. Be light there. What I'm talking about is that if you have some of your closest friend or a best friend who's an unbeliever, man, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have that constant temptation to want to go their side because you guys are on different paths. You have different values, different systems. That's the pressure when you get hooked up with unbelievers. Now, I want to finish. I want to talk to you about how to beat compromise. But again, here's, here's what I want you to understand as we go into this thing. I want you to know that God himself knows the struggle of a temptation to compromise. God himself knows. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, for we don't have a high priest. This is referring to Jesus. 
who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. All things as we are. God doesn't know what I'm going through. No. All things as we are. Oh, it's so hard. God, you don't know. You don't know how hard. No, God does know. All things. Therefore, because he knows what we're going through, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we'll receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You can go to him. Why? Because he knows what it feels like. Everything you've been tempted with, he has, and maybe to a different degree. How do I know that? Because I see it in scripture. I see in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, he's praying. Remember the prayer? Lord, if possible, remove this cup from me. Do you ever think about that? Why would he pray that? That's why he came to earth. That's why he left heaven to enter into our cesspool of a world and become a man so he could die for sin. Why would you ask to to be removed from the cross when that's what you came for? To me, that shows me his humanity and shows me maybe he was facing temptation. Oh, man, Lord, is there any other way? Ah, Man, I'm really not wanting to do this right now. And then we see, after his baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the desert, to be tempted by the devil for how many days? Forty. How would you like to spend 40 days with the devil and be tempted? Forty days and be tempted. Oh, my gosh. So don't you think he knows everything you've gone through? Don't you think the devil threw everything at the book at him? Sure he did. So why don't you do? Why don't you try this? This is this is. If we'll, if we'll think this through, we'll be better. Why is it that there's something within the church, something within Christianity, that makes us think that we can't be real with God in our prayers? Like I can't come to God and say, God, you know what, you men, Lord, I so want to go turn on that computer right now, and bring up porn, Lord. The wife's out of the house. The kids are gone. Nobody will know. I'm able to cover my tracks. Lord, I so want to do that right now and just enjoy that. Lord, I really want to indulge in that right now. God, will you come help me? What if we prayed like that? Do we ever pray like that? No, but, but wouldn't we better be better if we would? I mean, he knows what we're going through. He knows it's on the inside of you. Oh, we'd be so much better if we go to him in the time of need. We'd receive grace and help. Now, that's why as I got older, my kids got older, I should say, raising them. I was honest with them to a certain degree. I didn't let them know all my skeletons, but they they knew where dad came from. They knew the struggles I had before I became a Christian. They knew when I'd be a mistake as a Christian, I would own up to it. I wanted them to, to be able to have a real faith and, and be able to know that they can go to God and be real and go to dad and be real. And, and I wanted them to, to have that kind of place. I wanted them to be approachable. And it's the same with God. God wants you to approach him with your temptations to compromise. He, he, he doesn't uh, care. He doesn't mind. He wants to help. He understands. He's been there. Now, let me, let me end with these things. Here's some helps when temptation comes. Number one, we just talked about it. Reach out to God for help. Psalm fifty fifteen. 
Call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Go to God. Don't let pride or shame get in the way of you reaching out to God. Secondly, look for the exit sign. When temptation comes, look for it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, hey, what you're going through, your, your brother next to you, your sister next to you, they're going through the same thing. It's common to man. Common, we all got common temptations. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Oh, Lord, I couldn't help it. Lord, I had no choice. But no, 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 no. You won't be tempted beyond what you were able. Because with the temptation, God will provide the way of escape also. So that you'll be able to endure it. I had no choice, God. I tried. I wanted to stop. I... You know I didn't want to. What what was I going to do? God says, what about that side door I showed you? What about that back door that that was open there? Hey, right now, go through that thing. Oh, well, I guess I could have. No excuse. Own it. If you fail, own it. Look for the exits. Look for the side door. Look for the way out. And then thirdly, to beat compromise, you need to establish a value system. So important. Now, along with the word of God, which is our value. See, the word of God is not only instructions for how to live, but it's, it's guidelines. We're, we're to line ourselves underneath it. Whatever God says is good, we, we want to try to embrace those things. Whatever God says to stay away from, we want to stay away from those things. Why? Because ultimately, they'll, they'll, they're not good for us. Along with the word of God, we need to personalize the value system. So that we can have those things in place. Things that aren't clearly addressed in the Bible that, that we shouldn't be doing. Now, I want to emphasize, I'm going to share with you my, some of my values, my personal ones, but this is my value system. It's not one size fits all. This is created for me with my past, with my personality, with the issues that I face, God has, has helped me form my value system. Yours may be different. But you do need to form one. Why do you need to form a value system? Because in the time of temptation, if you don't have that value system in place, like I don't do this, I don't do this, you'll easily fall into it because you're trying to make a decision on whether you should or shouldn't right in the heat of the temptation. And that's a recipe for failure. Have it established ahead of time. Here's mine, some of them. I don't drink alcohol. And now that marijuana is legal, I don't smoke weed. Even though by law I could. Why don't you do those things, Doug? Well, as I told you before, I'm a fourth-generation alcoholic. Uh, Doug Loman cannot have a couple social beers. Doug Loman drinks two beers, and Doug Loman's taking a trip down to the store to get a case of beer. Uh, Doug Loman, if, if, if I was to smoke weed, it wouldn't be one little hit. I'd be, I'd be buying weed and smoking it all day. I have an addictive personality. That's one reason. But the second reason is I feel, I would, I feel weird drinking as a pastor. I just feel weird. If, if I was to go into one of the liquor stores here in town and, and I walk out and you're in there or, or you're at the fast food restaurant next to it and I got a six pack of Bud and you see me, I wouldn't feel right. Now you might say, what's, what's the big deal, pastors? It's not a sin to drink. No, it's not. But for me, it is. The Bible says, whatever not of faith is sin. I don't feel good about it. I'm not judging you. I don't feel good about it. So I can't do it. So I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't smoke. 
I don't meet, another value I have, I don't meet or counsel with a woman alone. I don't do much counseling, period, anymore. I'm getting older. We get younger staff here to do that. But when I did do a lot of counseling, I wouldn't meet with a woman alone. You say, why? Well, for appearance sake. It just doesn't, to me, it just didn't look right. I just didn't want to be in there and, and uh, you know, meeting with a gal alone. I didn't want to uh, put the church in any jeopardy if there were some accusations that I said something or did something. As a young man, I didn't want to be tempted. Not that an older man can't be tempted, but as this older guys get older, the testosterone flattens out and it's not the allure as it was when you were younger. But I, I, didn't, I, I just didn't want to do that. And I could, oh my goodness. I had to write a book on some of the stuff I've heard in the counseling room over the years. Seriously, I could write a book. It, it is baffling. I can't watch explicitly sexual or gory shows. Again, the sexual part is not so much that I'm tempted now, although the you know, Bible says, take heed lest you fall. But I just don't feel right. I, it just, it, like it pollutes my soul. I just don't feel good watching that stuff. The same with gore. I, I just can't watch, you know, again, I'm not saying you, maybe you're okay with the horror movies. I can't watch somebody getting whacked up with a chainsaw. I just, just can't do it. Now, a Western movie, you want to shoot somebody? I have no problem with that. <laughs> we have a basket of candy uh, and cookies in our office for the staff. And there's a little sign that my wife made, 50 cents. I don't feel comfortable just taking that. And, and not putting some money in there. And I can justify it. Hey, you know what? We tithe here and, you know, I'm, you know, one of the lead pastors. I can, you know, it's, I just don't feel right. I'll, I'll go by there and if I don't have any change on me, I'll take something. But, but I will make sure that I come back later. And, and if I don't pay right away, I feel like, hey, because you didn't pay right away, you're going to pay double, buddy. And if it's 50 cents, I put a buck in there. If I get two things, I'll put $5 in there. I just, I, I want to make sure I'm doing more than I, I should. Why? It's my conviction. It's just my conviction. Establish a value system. Again, it'll be tailored different. You have different pasts than I do. You have different issues than I do. But create a value system. Let me end with this story. Joyce Meyer, the uh, Bible teacher, very good Bible teacher. Well, before she was full-time on the speaking circuit, she was working at a job in the accounting department. And... Her boss came to her one day and said, hey, I want you to zero out this one account. Even though we owe them some money, just go ahead and zero it out and just, we'll call it good. And she was struggling, thinking, oh, man, <clears throat> I, can't, I can't do that. Man. I, I'm, I feel like I'm stealing from this guy. This guy has money. His company has money coming to him. And so she went home that night and talked with her husband and said, oh, man, man I really need this job. I'm making good money. And at that time, she said her and her husband only had one car. And the place she was working was close to her husband's place. It was very convenient. They could just take one car. If she lost her job now, they got a transportation issue. And, and went through all those things. She says, I, I can't. And so she said, God, give me strength. And she went to her boss the next day and said, I know you want me to zero out that account. She says, I can't. I said, I'm, I'm sinning against my conscience. And so I'm, I'm sorry I won't be able to do that. And her boss says, okay, go back to work. And she thought, well, he didn't fire me now, but he's probably getting all the paperwork together and he'll fire me come quitting time. Well, come quitting time, he popped his head in her office and said, uh, go ahead and write that man a check and go ahead and pay that company with what we owe him and walked on. 
She said, I think I gained the respect, although I'm sure I irritated the daylights out of my boss. I think I gained his respect. In fact, she says, I know he did because she says later on down the years, she kept getting promotions, promotions, and eventually before she quit to go on the speaking tour, she was right below her boss. He respected her. She made that stand. See, the allure of compromise, it offers a shortcut to achieve something. That's really what a compromise is. That's the allure of it. If you fudge, if you go under, if you go around, you can get something, and you will get something, but you've gotten it illegally. Versus not choosing to take a shortcut, not compromising, and as a result of that, yes, you're going to be delayed. Maybe you won't even get that thing that you're longing for, but I tell you what you will get, and I don't think you can put a price tag to it, is you'll be able to lay your head down at night and you'll sleep sound. Why? Because you'll have a clear conscience. You will be able to look at yourself in the mirror and like what you see. You won't be perfect. Doesn't mean like mistakes. But you'll say, you know what? Hey, at least I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I'm not living a hypocritical, compromising life. And for that... What price tag do you put on that? And I believe that not only will you get that, but I do believe the thing that you, you wanted, that you are delaying, I think God will eventually give you that. I, Joyce Meyer, you know, the very thing that she wanted, she ended up getting, but you had to make that initial stand. And so let's just make a decision to say, I, I am, I'm just not going to take that shortcut. I'm going to revisit some of those areas and say, God, let's talk again. Let's, let's, let's see about what we need to do here on some of those things in my life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is tough stuff, Lord. This is the nitty-gritty. This is where the rubber meets the road. To be able to ask you to talk, to speak, to invite you into those areas that, that we have basically just ignored our conscience. We have settled on, rationalized, explained away. And, and Lord, we're going to open that up again. We're going to open it up for discussion again. Lord, I pray, God, for the people that need to do that, God, if a shoe fits. Give them courage. Give them strength. They may be in a different place now. They may be stronger in the Lord than they think now. They might be able to make a, a decision now that they couldn't make in years past. I, I pray, God, that they would be able to do that. I pray the blessing of God upon them. I pray the peace of God. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that if anybody here is not born again, that you would acknowledge that Jesus Christ came to earth in your sins and mine. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That you would acknowledge that he's your savior. He died for you. And that you would make him Lord, master owner. You surrendered your life to him. Let the Holy Spirit come inside of you. Be born again. Give you a strength that you never would imagine that you would have to say no to sin. You can do that right where you're at. Father, we love you. We thank you. And I pray just a great Thanksgiving for all the folks that are here. In Jesus' name.